Thank you, brother. You know what? I love assigning readings from judges because what it means is people actually feel my pain, you know? <laughs> you, you get to all the names and you're like, oh, how do you pronounce it? Just say it confidently and pretend you know what, I mean, what it is. I don't have a clue how to pronounce half the names. Nick, you did a great job. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you for that. Uh, we are in uh, Judges chapter 8, and we are in uh, Gideon part 3, if you like. And when I look at Gideon's life, uh, and when you look at Gideon's life, there's something that comes to my mind whenever I think about Gideon, and it's a truth uh, for all of us that we remember as people, and it is the truth, it is this truth, that people change. People change. Uh, And that's true in Gideon's life, that's true in your life, that's true in my life. People change. You are a different you than you were a few years ago. You know, in secondary school, you were a certain type of person, weren't you? Like, if, if you just think back to who you were in secondary school and who you are now, things have changed, haven't they? If you just let me allow you, there's probably a lot of sin in there, I know that, but, but just think back to who you were then, haven't things changed? And then you think back to who you were in college, the way you lived and the way you acted and the way you were. Have things changed for you? Yeah, things have changed. And then, you know, your work life or family life or whatever and who you are today, things have changed. And who you were two years ago before COVID, you know, there's like, it was BC and AD, now it's pre-COVID, after COVID, isn't it? And so there, there was this way I was before COVID and there's this way I am after COVID and there's this reality, isn't there, that, that people change. We change. And, and, and the parents in this room understand that really, really well. You know, I thought when we had like small little kids, that we had got the nap times down. We got the nap times down, and then suddenly what happened is our children changed. The food they like is now not the food they like, and the time they want to sleep is now not the time they want to sleep. And, and in marriage, you realize that about the person you've married, they change. You see, the moment, I, I didn't ask her permission actually, but the, the, moment, the moment I married my wife, I was like, I, I think I know her, and then I, I think I know what she likes and enjoys, but then she changes on me. And, and I don't realize now what she liked a few months ago is different than what she likes now. And I should know what she likes all the time. But she changes and we change. I change. I change my preferences. I change what I like. And, and that's marriage, isn't it? You kind of interact with the changes of life and you, you walk alongside each other and, and realize, yes, there might be changes in their life, but I've committed to them. People, they change. And that's the same in Gideon's life. Gideon has changed significantly, hasn't he? He is the man who is a man of great fear who was hiding in the wine press, wasn't he? He was hiding there in the wine press. And then he was a man who, who doubted the Lord's presence. And so in doubting the Lord's presence, he put the Lord his God to the test. Lord, I want you to show me a sign. And the Lord brings him fire, shows him a sign. Lord, that's not good enough. I want you to show me another sign. Wet the fleece. The Lord wets the fleece. Lord, that's not good enough. I want you to show me another sign. Dry the fleece. The Lord dries the fleece. And he's constantly doubting and fearing with the Lord. And then the Lord tells him, you know, I want you to go down to the camp and I want you to see the army of Midian and there I'm going to show you. If you're afraid, bring your servant. What did he do? He brought a servant because he was afraid. And then the Lord showed him that the Lord would give him victory and then Gideon changed from a man of fear to a man of worship. And then suddenly you see Gideon calling the army, the army who went from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. 
Now, last week, I kept saying 22,000, 22,000. It's 32,000 from 10,000 to 300. Lessened his army. He is afraid. And the Lord lessened his army so that the Lord would get all the worship. And Gideon comes to the army of 300 and says, come, follow me. Do as I do. What are we going to do? Get out the trumpets, lads. We're going to win. And so with trumpets, the Lord gives them victory. And what we see in Gideon's life is he goes from a man of fear to a man of worship. But that man of fear and that man of worship turns into a man of rage and a man of revenge. And you wonder, what on earth has happened to Gideon? And we see this change in Gideon happening from worship to rage and revenge. We see it in three arguments or in four arguments that happen in the passage that Nick read to us. The first argument is the argument that he has with this people, Ephraim. Ephraim are this tribe of God's people, and he has this argument with Ephraim. Ephraim come to him. Ephraim come to Gideon, and they say, Gideon, why didn't you call us for the battle? You are fighting against the Midianites. Gideon, why didn't you bring us along? Now, why are they so annoyed that they didn't get brought along? Because they wanted a piece of the glory. Why didn't you invite us in? Instead of being delighted that the Midianites are being defeated, they're annoyed that they didn't get invited. Why didn't you invite us to the party? So they're annoyed. And then Gideon responds to them in verse 3, showing how, he, how much he has changed. Chapter 8, verse 3, he says, God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. They're angry. They're frustrated. Why didn't you invite us in? Why didn't you let us get part of the glory? And he says to them, well, the Lord has given you two princes. What have I done in comparison to you? You're, you're all good. You're mighty, Ephraim. You're fine. What have I done? And that subsides their anger. And so in this, you start to see the change in Gideon. Gideon has gone from a man who can't speak to a man who has smooth speech. And he was able to take Ephraim down a notch or two and say, look, you, you've, you've done it all. You're fine. That's the first argument. The second argument happens with the people of Succoth. The people of Succoth, he, Gideon has chased already the two princes, but now Gideon and the army, they're after the two kings of Midian. So the two pr princes have been taken, now they're after the two kings. They're chasing after those two kings, and they come past Succoth, and they say to the people of Succoth, listen, we're exhausted, we're tired, we need some food. And the people of Succoth say, we're not going to give you food. You have no kings. We're not going to give you any food. And then Gideon responds. He says this, verse 7. So Gideon said, well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. It's pretty angry. You won't give me bread when we catch the kings? I'm going to bring them back? and I'm going to show you, and then I'm going to torture all of you. That's a pretty big change from the guy who used to hide in caves, isn't it? And then he comes across in his third argument to the people of Penuel. And the people of Penuel, he says the exact same thing. We're exhausted. We need some food to keep on with our battle. And then they say, well, you've got no kings. We're not going to give you any food. And what does he say back to them? In verse 9, he says to them this, and he said to the men of Penuel, when I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. 
Succoth, if you don't give me food, I'm going to torture you. Penuel, if you don't give me food, I'm going to come down and I'm going to break down your towers. This is the guy who couldn't break down his father's idols. And now he's ready to go and break down towers. What is going on with this man? And so the 300 men, he goes from a place of, of worship to a place of rage and anger. And so what he does with the 300 men, exhausted and tired, is they start running after the two kings. They catch the two kings. And then when they catch the two kings, guess what he does? He drags the two kings back to Succoth and Penuel. And listen to what he says to them. Down in verse 20, or down in verse 16, he says this to them, and he took the elders of the city, the city of Succoth, he took the elders of the city and took thorns of the wilderness and briars and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. That will teach you not to give me bread. Verse 17, and he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. He's taking revenge into his own hands. So Gideon, a lot of the time people say, we should do what Gideon does. If Gideon puts out fleeces, we should put out fleeces. Guys, don't put out fleeces. Terrible idea. It's showing, it's showing that we're not trusting in the Lord. And, and then, you know, if Gideon can, if Gideon can take on people with, with 300 men, I should do that. No, you shouldn't shouldn't follow Gideon. Gideon's, Gideon's not, not that great of a guy to follow after. Actually, we learn a lesson from him. He's showing rage and anger. He's gone from worship to rage and anger. And you say, what has changed for this guy that he would turn so quickly? And the answer we get given is in verse 19. His argument with the kings. It's the fourth argument. He has an argument with Ephraim. He has an argument with Sukkoth. He has an argument with Penuel. Then he has an argument with the kings. And when he brings the kings before him, he says to the kings in verse 19, they were my brothers. They were the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still young. Why has Gideon changed so much? Why is Gideon so full of rage and revenge? Because those kings are responsible for killing his brothers, and Gideon wants to get them back. And not only does Gideon want to get them back, but Gideon wants to embarrass them. So Gideon takes his firstborn son, his young son, and says, son, get up and kill them. Because that would be an embarrassing thing for him to do. And the son is what? The father, like son, he's afraid. And Gideon steps him aside, and he kills the two kings out of revenge. What's changed for Gideon? The devastating circumstances. Here's what's happened to Gideon. Let me sum it up like this. Gideon has allowed the devastating circumstances of his life to change who he is. Gideon has allowed 
the devastating circumstances of his life to change who he is, to change him from a person of worship to a person of rage to a person of revenge. That can be really tempting for us, can't it? That when things happen to us in life, when circumstances happen to us in life, difficult, hard circumstances in life, that we can let those circumstances change who we are. And the encouragement I would say to you this morning is don't let your circumstances change you. Rely on God to change you. Because circumstances, they change all the time. If we keep letting the circumstances that happen to us in life keep changing us, we are going to be all over the place. We need to be careful that even the most devastating circumstances don't change us. When I think of devastating circumstances that happen to God's people, I think of the circumstances that happened to people in the, in the States a while back at the hands of a guy called Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof was a young man in his early 20s, and in his early 20s, he was a man who was full of rage and a man who was full of anger and a man who was full of ra racial hate. And this man, Dylan Roof, this young man, Dylan Roof, he went over and approached a church called Emmanuel AMC Church. They had a prayer meeting on at the time. Dylan Roof walks into the prayer meeting and he starts ending people's lives. He took the lives of nine people in that prayer meeting that night. Devastating. Videos came out of his court case afterwards. And in the court case, what happened was they gave him chance to speak or respond. But they also gave the families of those who were killed the opportunity and the chance to speak and respond to him speak to the, their loved one's killer, the one who killed their loved ones. And so they gave him the opportunity, they gave the family members the opportunity to stand up and speak. And one of the family members stood up and she said to him, you have taken, you have taken everything from me. You have taken everything from me. But she said, God forgives you, and I forgive you. And the whole world goes insane. How could someone do that? How could someone do that? Now, when she offers forgiveness, we need to not make the mistake. That's still very costly. Forgiveness is really costly. Forgiveness is really unfair. Because what happens is the person who has been hurt offers out the forgiveness to the other person. It's, it's unfair in a way. It seems almost unjust, and yet they do it. It's still painful. And it doesn't mean that as the years go on, they're, they're not going to feel times of hate against this man. But the principle is this. They still said to him on the day when they had him, when they had him, when they could have said anything they wanted to him, they said this to him, I forgive you. When the world would say, get revenge, take him, get angry at him, do something to him, punish him. And yet the mother says, I forgive you. Do you know what has happened to them? They have not let their circumstances 
their devastating circumstances change who they are. They went into the courtroom that day and they remembered one thing. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And I'm called to love and forgive my enemies. And I'm going to do it. Don't let your devastating circumstances change who you are. And it mightn't even be devastating circumstances. It might just be difficult circumstances. Do you know what I've noticed about life sometimes? It's hard. It's tiring. It's difficult. And sometimes we allow the stresses and the difficulties and the hard things that happen in life shape who we are and change who we are. Christian, you are in Christ, which means you are a new creation, which means the old has gone and what has come? The new has come. You are different now. And what can happen to us is we can let all these things seep in. Even our loneliness, sometimes we let our loneliness, the circumstance of loneliness, change who we are. We let loneliness infect us and it may, means we become bitter and judgmental and start hating people. Don't let the circumstances of your life change who you are. Instead, what should you do? Rely on God to change you. Because you know what God is going to do? Here's the good news about all your circumstances that you're facing right now. You know, if you look at the people around you right now, you don't have a clue what's going on in their heart right now. You don't have a clue what's going on in their lives right now. You don't have a clue about all the circumstances that are happening right now. But I can tell you one truth. It's this. God knows all your circumstances. And guess what's going to happen for one day for all those who are in Christ Jesus? One day, here's what God is going to do. He's going to change all your circumstances. All of them. There will be no pain, no sorrow, no devastating news anymore. One day. One day. We will be with him, and not one tear will be shed again. That is gloriously good news, brothers and sisters. That is the life we hope for. That is the life we long for. And Gideon, unfortunately, is a man who has let his circumstances change him. He's gone from a man of fear to a man of worship to a man of rage and a man of revenge. And now he is going to go to a man of pride. Verse 22, it says this, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for, listen to this, you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. What's happening? God's people have a wrong view of worship. They come to Gideon and they say to Gideon, Gideon, you have saved us. So Gideon, will you be our king? That is a wrong view of salvation. Who has saved God's people? Who has saved God's people? It is not Gideon. It was God himself who saved God's people. That is why God reduced his army from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300 so that no man would boast. And now, after the battle, they come to Gideon and say, Gideon, will you be our king because you've saved us? That's a wrong view of salvation. It wasn't Gideon's. 
How could they have got the idea that Gideon had any part of this salvation? Because Gideon told them to shout something. When you go to the people, shout this, for the Lord and for Gideon. And twice in the passage it said, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon's trying to get a little bit of the glory for himself, and it has worked because the people look to Gideon and they say, you have saved us. It's not true. Brothers and sisters, can I remind you again? Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is God who saves If you are saved this morning, it is not because of you. It is not because of your behavior. It is not because of your works. I hate to break it to you. It's not because of your looks. It's not because you are any way really a good person down in your heart. You are saved by God. It is God who has saved you. And the reality of this salvation truth that it is God who saves helps me sleep at night. As a preacher, this truth that God saves, that actually helps me when I lie down at bed at night. Sometimes I lose sleep over silly things. So here's what I lost sleep over last week after I preached. Here's what I lost sleep over. I said 22,000 instead of 32,000, and I couldn't sleep. I said the wrong number. Couldn't sleep. But there's one thing I don't lose sleep over. It is this. I don't lose sleep over who God saves because it belongs to Him. So what? that's really freeing for me. Because it means when I'm preaching, it's not up to my style, my tactics, the way I do it, how I say it, the way I present myself, what way I do things. It's not any of that. It is God who saves. And so I can preach and I can sleep like a baby because I know God's going to keep doing His work. Why? Do you know what? God never slumbers or sleeps. That's insane. He's always watching over His people. He will save His people. He will do that work, and we can go to bed as happy as Larry and sleep. This is why you as Christians don't need to be guilty when you don't say the right words in evangelism or when you don't say the right words at all. Because why? God will save. God can use your feeble little efforts, your silly little words, to save people. God can use the weakest of Christians to save the worst of sinners because its salvation belongs to God. Some people think the only people who are good at speaking about Jesus and evangelizing about Jesus are those who are up front because they speak well. They're, they can speak. Let, let's let them do it. No. God has called you And the reason you'll be able to sleep at night is this. You can just go to bed knowing He's going to save people. He has got this. Salvation belongs to Him. Brothers and sisters, we need to have a right view of salvation, that it is God's. And notice what Gideon does. They say, Gideon, you've saved us, so rule over us. Do you know what Gideon should have said? I didn't save you. God saved you. You've got this wrong. He doesn't. Gideon says, I'll not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So in other words, it sounds like Gideon actually doesn't want to be the king. It sounds like Gideon actually doesn't want to rule. Now Gideon is saying, I don't want to be the king, but actually the way Gideon is acting is kind of like he does want to be the king. Look at what he says in verse 24. It says this, and Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. 
Every one of you. So they say, rule over us. He says, no, I won't rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Sounds kind of spiritual, doesn't it? Sounds like Gideon's got a spiritual, you know, antenna on or whatever you want to call it. Then Gideon says, you know, let me, every one of you, give me earrings from your spoil. That should ring alarm bells in your head when a leader asks for earrings. Golden earrings, actually, because they're Ishmaelites. Verse 25, and they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in, in the earrings of the spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the uh, pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in, in his city in Orpha. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. It sounds like Gideon doesn't want to be king, but Gideon is sure acting like king. And you know, when you hear of a guy gathering up golden earrings and making something to worship, does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of anything in the history of God's people? Could that have happened before? Could God's people not have learned from the fact that that Aaron, when Moses went up the mountain for a second, and they said, you know what? Give us something to worship, Aaron. Aaron goes, I'll sort it. I'm, I'm I'm the high priest. I'll sort it. I'll give you something to worship. Give me your earrings. He gets all the gold earrings, and what does he make for them? He makes for them a golden cow. Let's worship that. And God's people are just doing it again. Gideon says, I'll solve this. Make for you an ephod, this like linen garment or whatever that that the priests used to wear that had a breastplate that had 12 stones on it to represent the tribe of God's people. He puts this gold ornament, he puts this thing into the middle of the city and all the people worship it. Isn't it incredible how people can worship things that they've actually made themselves with your own hands? If you've made a God with your own hands, it's not a God. I know that's really offensive, but it has to, I mean, it has to make logical sense. If you've made it, it's not a God. If it's made you, that's your God. And that's what God was saying to God's people in the book of Isaiah. He said, you carry around your gods in your own hands. I'm the one who carries you. I'm the creator of the universe. I should be worshipped. And Gideon, he takes this worship into his own hands. He says, I don't want to be king, but he's acting like king. Gideon has changed from a man of of fear to a man of worship to a man of rage to a man of revenge to a man of pride and also to a man of lust. The last few verses I'll read to you. Look at his lust, verse 29. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives, named Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, in Orphra, the Abyssalites. He's saying, I'm not king, but he sure is acting like king. 
The kings back in the day, they would have got many wives and many concubines, and that's what he is doing. Do you know one of the telltale signs that Gideon is now full of pride? Guess what he calls his son? He calls his son Abimelech, which means, guess what that means? I mean, this gives the game away. You know, you know people are you know, full of pride when, when they do stuff like this. I'm going to call my son Abimelech, which means my father is king. Make no mistake about it. This is a man who is full of pride. Oh, let's, let's call him, what, what will we call him, darling? Let's call him, I'm king. How about we call him, I'm the king, I'm the ruler. No, no, I don't want to rule over you, but let's call my son, I'm king. That is a bad move. That is a bad move, and it is a move that is full of pride. No one in this room would dare to say, I'm king. We'd never say that. We'd never say, I'm the king. But isn't it true that sometimes we act like it? We'd never come right out and say, I'm the king, worship me, make life all about me, make me the center of life. But sometimes we do it, don't we? I mean, that is what it means to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with your life today, do you know what you're saying to Jesus? Jesus, you are king. I am not. Jesus, you're going to rule and reign in my life now. I am not ruling and reigning in my life anymore. And when you trust in Jesus, you realize this. I was a terrible ruler in my life. I was a really bad king. When I was in control of everything, it just all went all over the place. I, you see, we think we're in control, but you actually don't know what's going to happen in an hour's time. You're not in control. Life will tell you that. Disasters will tell you that. Illnesses will tell you that. You're not in control. There is another king of this universe, and his name is Jesus. And he deserves all glory and honor and praise and worship. He deserves your life. You need to trust in him and stop calling yourself king. Now, some of us this morning, we have trusted in him. But here's the temptation. We still try to take the throne. And in, in little ways, think about this for a second. Think about who is king over your time. Nowadays, we're really precious over our time. We want to be autonomous beings who are in charge of all my time. Yeah, you, you, can, you can come into my life as long as you fit into my schedule. And often what happens, even for us as Christians, is yes, Jesus is our king, but we kind of just try and fit him into our schedule. We fit Jesus in wherever it suits us. Rather than saying to Jesus, my time, Jesus, it's yours. You are the king. You rule. You reign. And there's many other areas in life where we try and steal kingship from the Lord. And I would just encourage even the Christians in the room, a life that surrenders to him. Jesus, my time, it's yours. It belongs to you. 
Jesus, my finances, they're yours, they belong to you. My work, it belongs to you. My children, I give that all over to you. My possessions, Jesus, I'm not going to hold them like this. I'm going to hold it out, and Lord Jesus, you do with it as you will. You are going to be king, not me, not me, not me. Gideon. What a way to die, right? said he lived to a good old age. Man of fear, man of worship, man of rage, man of revenge, man of pride, man of lust. There is one more thing you could call Gideon, and it is incredible. Gideon was a man of faith. Say, no way. Where is that in the passage? That's what you should be asking me every Sunday. Where is it, Shane? Where is that there? I don't see that there. But then the interpreter of Hebrews looks at Gideon's life and says this of Gideon. He says this in Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? He gives examples of people of faith. I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak. Gideon and Barak make the list of the people of faith. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, wait till we get to those two. David and Samuel and the prophets, I don't have time to tell you about them. Who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames and and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness, Gideon, was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign enemies. And the writer of the book of Hebrews looks back at Gideon's life. Yes, I'm sure he can see sin. But he also calls him a man of faith. Which tells me this. The grace of God extends beyond, far beyond what we know. Sometimes we seep into this reality where we think our behavior is what saves us. It is the grace of God that saves us. And brothers and sisters, maybe all of us, we all have a bit of Gideon in us, don't we? Rage, anger, worship sometimes, pride sometimes, lust sometimes. But if salvation belongs to God and not to my behavior, then I too can be called a man and woman of faith, not by works, but by His grace alone, to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this picture of the life of Gideon. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are king in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would learn to live a life that surrenders to you day after day, week after week, month after month. May we be known as people of faith. Lord Jesus, may we not allow our circumstances change us. Lord Jesus, may we rely on you to change us. In your name I pray these things. Amen.